Hello and welcome to episode 827 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Ben Lindbergh of 538, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello, Sam. Yo. Today we're doing the Milwaukee Brewers preview. So in the second segment, Jeff Paternoster will talk to Jack Moore of Vice Sports and the Hardball Times and BP Milwaukee and other places. But before we get to that, we are talking to the author of the BP Annual Essay for the Brewers this year, who is Ryan Romano, who writes for BP Milwaukee and Beyond the Box Score. Hello, Ryan. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being on. So can you give us a a guided tour to the Brewers offseason? Because it feels like to me that the Brewers have maybe made the most moves that were easy to overlook. And maybe that's because they're the Brewers and people had sort of written them off for 2016. Or maybe it's because no huge names really changed teams in, in those trades. But if you could just sort of sum up what the Brewers were trying to do and what they accomplished in the many moves that they made, how would you do that? Well, I'll start by saying that you're not wrong to necessarily write them off for 2016 because <laughs> right. as they currently stand, this is not a team that will win a great deal of games. It's probably a better team than it was last year with uh, no Kyle Loge sinking down the rotation and probably with Matt Garzum taking a fewer spots, but Basically, the Brewers have spent their offseason dealing away a lot of their proven players, relatively proven players, guys like Chris Davis and Adam Lind and Gene Segura. And in return, not necessarily in those trades, but also just in minor league signings and in uh, lower level pickups, picking up guys that have flaws but still have potential to contribute. People like uh, Garen Sashini. Whom the Red Sox put on waivers is a former top prospect. Colin Walsh, they picked up in the Rule 5 draft, is a very talented minor league hitter, albeit a 26-year-old. Uh, Domingo Santana, they picked up in the Carlos Gomez trade last July. He should probably pick up a lot of starts in one of the corner outfield spots. Uh, Chris Carter, they got off after Houston non-tendered. He's a fairly proven power bat whom they could probably trade if he uh, ends up doing well. So basically, the 2012 or the 2016 Brewers should be like the 2012-2013 Chicago Cubs. They're sort of a team that knows that it'll contend a few years down the road, but uh, for now, it's just stacking up the pieces and maybe bringing in a few assets to trade this year to add some more pieces to that. Yeah, I um, my my father knows a, a a good deal about baseball, a lot about baseball, and my guess is that he wouldn't recognize a single name. Brewers traded or got back this offseason. So it was kind of um, surprising, not to say wrong, but surprising when I saw Dave Cameron's uh, offseason rankings and he had the Brewers the second best uh, offseason of any team. Do you buy that? Or do you think that's making too much of what they've done? Or is you know do Brewers fans feel that kind of sense of giddiness that everything worked out so great? I wouldn't necessarily say they have the second best offseason. I think that a lot of uh, where they stand right now, there is a lot of optimism regarding the Brewers right now, but a lot of that goes back to the season itself when they traded guys like Gomez and Jonathan Broxton and uh, Ramos Ramirez. They That was sort of the beginning of the massive scale rebuild that we're seeing now. All people, by the, all people, by the way, that my dad has heard of, just to stand up <laughs> for my dad. I'm sick of everybody talking about my dad. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> but yeah, they've, 
imported a lot of younger minor league talent. Now their farm system has just been completely revamped. It's now, by anyone's appraisal, one of the best uh, minor league systems in baseball. They Again, they will not contend in 2016, probably not in 2017, but in two or three years from now, I think that they could really be an NL Central powerhouse, along with like the Cubs and perhaps the Cardinals and Pirates, simply because of all of the talent that they've imported over the past few months and so. So where would their system have ranked, say, right before the trade deadline last year? Because it, it seems like... If I recall doing, you know, Brewers episodes last year, Brewers preview episodes, it was maybe among the the more desolate systems or certainly the most desolate preview episodes we did. And I think we we talked at the time about how if you had to pick a team that was going to take the longest to win a World Series or was the, the least likely to win one soon, we would take the Brewers because of where their current major league roster was and where their system was and just what their market is permanently, but mm-hmm. it seems like that's not accurate. That's not fair to say anymore. So how thorough was the revamp? Did they go from bottom tier to top tier? Did they go from middle to top? How huge a jump was it? Well, last offseason, I believe Baseball Perspectives ranked them as one of the worst collective farm systems. 26th. Yeah, 26th. Mm-hmm. And, and 29 now, the year before. Mm-hmm. They've been in... I. I can't remember. I was looking this up earlier, but they've been in the bottom 20 for, I think, or the bottom 10 for five or six years running. The The last few years of uh, Doug Melvin's term just were really awful for prospect development. But now I think realistically they will play somewhere in the top 10, not, not, not number one, but I think to pick a fairly arbitrary number, number six or seven, which is a pretty massive improvement considering that, again, they've been a bottom 10 system for four or five years running. And some of that is due to the number one prospect, Orlando Garcia, who's had an incredible 2015 and who has been doing very well over the past few years at the shortstop position. An exceptional arm and glove. He's really developed his bat, and he probably will come up briefly in 2016 and then maybe become the full-time starter in 2017. But a lot of this comes from players like Brett Phillips, uh, Josh Hader, guys who came over in the Carlos Gomez trade, Zach Davies, they acquired for Gerardo Parra, and then... Uh, Trent Clark, whom they drafted just this year. And these are guys who, again, weren't on the roster a year ago, and all of them are uh, imperfect prospects, but the, they've come on just recently in the past 12 months to, to really revamp the farm system to give the team the, the minor league depth that it really has lacked in past seasons and which really proved to be its downfall in 2015. And I think it was the 2004, I think it was the 2014 annual, and I think it was Jack Moore. I might be wrong about both of those things. There was The essay kind of made the case that the Brewers should not do the full-scale teardown and that they uh, did have a good amount of Major League talent and that it was uh, conceivable to see them building uh, around that talent without having to put their fans through a teardown. And, of course, this is what they're doing right now is much closer to a teardown. They, they aren't quite at you know 110 loss levels or anything like that, but... Like you said, they traded away a a lot of ready talent right now. So that, of course, is under David Stearns, the new GM, and not Melvin. Um, And I wanted to know if you have a sense of whether uh, that is mainly just the result of Stearns being brought in. Uh, Was the organization before him opposed to the idea, uh, or would they have gotten there regardless? Doug Melvin lost his or 
did he step down or lose his job? He was no longer the GM in, I think, August. And he did preside over the trades of Gomez and Parra and Ramirez and those players. So you did start to see him uh, finally embracing rebuilding. But at the same time, that was sort of too little, too late. And for a number of years, for the first half of this decade, the Brewers just really didn't take that leap. They still tried to sort of hover in between contention and rebuilding. And sometimes it worked out pretty well. They had pretty good seasons in uh, 2012 and 2014, but then 2013, they bottomed out, and in 2015, they did the same. So, And the reason for that was because they really didn't have the minor league players, the depth players, to supplement their star guys. The Gomez and Braun and Lucroy, those guys weren't surrounded by enough role players to uh, really make the team cohesive and to make it be able to contend. So what the rebuild has done is, well, it's taken away a lot of the star players, and a few of these prospects might become stars in a few years, but realistically, I don't think that they'll be able to compile as many uh, really elite talents as they had. But at the same time, it gives them a more uh, broad talent base from which to draw. They have just a lot of wild cards, and in all likelihood, as they continue to try out these options in 2016 and 2017, they'll find a few players who work, and uh, they'll have a much more solid all-around team for 2018 and beyond when they return to contention. Was there a specific thing Doug Melvin did in his later years that was just kind of the quintessential frustrating Doug Melvin move, or was it a lack of moves that was the, the main complaint? Well, uh, to, <laughs> to tie this into my uh, essay in the BP annual, it wasn't really – there was no specific flaw that was Melvin's undoing. It was obviously the main thing was the fact that the farm system under him sort of deteriorated, but he also made some pretty good uh, major league signings. Kyle Loge was a solid pitcher for the two, for the first two seasons of his deal. Uh, Aramis Ramirez still played a pretty good third base. It was just that a lot of the players he signed didn't pan out. Guys like Matt Garza is now just a dead weight contract. There were just a number of trades that didn't really work out. It was, it was a, a combination of factors, and I, I don't really think you can attribute it to any one any one area of his performance, but really all around the team didn't draft especially well, it didn't make especially good uh, international signings, it didn't make very good free agent signings, and it didn't make that good trades to bring in more talent or to uh, bring in more prospects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the Marlins preview the other day, I was talking about a post at the NAFI projection system site about depth and uh, a kind of calculation they did of teams with good depth and bad depth and the brewers showed up as a team that suddenly doesn't have a whole lot of holes even though they're not projected to be a particularly good team and i think it's adam gutridge wrote the brewers have had a magical offseason in the most subtle of ways which I, i guess is what sam was getting at with dave cameron's comment before is there a particular either move, either transaction or player acquired that was the highlight of this subtle magical offseason for you? Uh, for me, I'd have to pick the Gene Segura trade. Segura is a pretty talented player. He's not a very good hitter, but has an incredible glove. He's a two to three win shortstop in a good year. But the Brewers, as mentioned earlier, have uh, Orlando Arcia, so they don't really have any use for Segura. So they dealt him to Arizona, got back uh, Aaron Hill, who's uh, probably over the hill middle infielder, but who could 
maybe break out this year and then allow the Brewers to parlay him into a decent return at the trade deadline. They got uh, Chase Anderson, who's a solid middle back-end starter, which is obviously not great, but for a Brewers team that gave a bunch of starts to Kyle Loge and Matt Garza, that's a pretty big improvement. And they got Isan Diaz, a lower-level shortstop, I think a teenager, who done very well in rookie ball, kind of a wild card like many of the players they have, but uh, still someone who can possibly help the team down the road. That that transaction sort of crystallizes everything that's happened in this offseason. They have both brought in prospect guys, guys who will help the team in 2018, 2019, guys like Diaz, and they've brought in current major leaguers, guys like Anderson, who can help the team now to sort of to hold it in respectability so that it won't bottom out to those 100-loss Astro levels till the guys like Diaz can come up and hopefully return it to glory. So uh, we've mentioned a few times uh, during this series that uh, it, it was surprising how early we were talking to the essayist about the team uh, because Pakoda was sort of uh, more pessimistic than the general consensus. I think the Brewers are the first instance of a team where we would probably say the opposite. It's sort of surprising probably to some people that were talking to you so late. And um, as I you know, remind people when we talk about the Royals, Pakoda isn't really a team projection system. It projects individual player performances. And then, you know, we just add all those up basically. And so if you want to complain about a team's projection, you kind of have to look at the players and say which players individually you disagree with. And I don't, I, I'm putting you on the spot here. You have not been asked to look at this, but uh, you have looked at the Brewers Pakoda projections at some point. Did any of them strike you as particularly unreasonably optimistic? Jonathan Lucroy has a fairly optimistic rebound, a 270 true average after an absolutely awful offensive year. I, I mean, I, I think he has a pretty good chance of doing it because he was kind of flukishly bad in 2015, but I'm not sure that he'll ever be a particularly great hitter again. Uh, at the same time, though, most of these projections strike me as fairly reasonable. None, none of the, on the pitching side of things, none of the pitchers really stand out aside from I guess Will Smith in the bullpen, you have Jimmy Nelson's mediocre starter, and then everyone else is at that level or below average. And then on the hitting side of things, the only really truly above average players are Jonathan Lucroy, catcher, and Ryan Braun in the outfield. It's just a lot of players who are solid, regular guys, guys like Santana, whom we saw in the August and September last year. He can probably be an average-ish hitter in the outfield. Guys like Jonathan VR has about a full season's worth of plate appearances in his career, and they've been pretty average. People like Scooter Gannett is you know, a, a solid second baseman, and Chris Carter as well is sort of a solid first baseman. And then other players like Colin Walsh and uh, Kirk Neuenheis, who have varying degrees of experience, but who should all at least be adequate players above replacement level. So it's it, it sort of, as I was saying earlier, sort of the... No one player really stands out, but the sum of the parts is when you put together a lot of acceptable players, you get a pretty acceptable team. Luke Wright came close to being traded not long ago. He certainly could be traded at at any moment. Is there anything in particular you'd like to see him traded for? Uh, You know, maybe if if you're the Brewers and you're, you know, perhaps a few years away, maybe you're just thinking about getting the, the best talent at this point, but is there any area in which the system is weak or the major league roster is weak that you would like to see them target? Well, uh, Lucor himself is a catcher, and the Brewers don't really have any particularly great catching prospects in their system, to my knowledge. 
I mean, Luke Roy will, he's under contract for two more years, so you figure that he'll probably walk away after 2018, which is when uh, the team would probably return to contention. And they have a lot of different prospects in the outfield. They've brought in guys. They have guys like Trent Clark and Tyrone Taylor in the outfield. They have a lot of infielders, guys like Diaz and, of course, Arcia. The, the really, the major place where they need an upgrade is a catcher. And coincidentally, that's a place where Luke Roy plays. So I would think that in a Luke Roy trade, you would probably give him to a team that's contending now, someone like, um, I don't know, the Mariners or someone. And then in return, they would give you a catching prospect, maybe a guy in a single or double A ball who could help the club a few years down the road, but whom they don't have any use for as present contenders. And Ryan Braun obviously bounced back to some extent, not to his MVP level, but he was something like a four-win player. And for what he was making last year, that was actually a bargain. He'll be making more this year, but his contract never goes above $20 million for a single season. So if he is productive, that is not unreasonable. But he is signed for four more seasons after this coming season. And he'll be 36 by the end of that, not including the the buyout that comes with the the mutual option for a age 37 season. Does he finish this contract with the Brewers? And if he does, will you be happy to have him? Do you think in you know 2020? I think yeah, he'll probably remain for for relative life. To do a, a cross team comparison here, you're kind of seeing a similar thing with the. Um, the Cincinnati Reds, they're tearing down their team. They're trading a lot of their stalwart players, guys like Frazier. But they're still holding on to Joey Votto because he's the guy. He is the guy. He's been the face of the franchise for a while. And I think the Brewers are doing the same thing with Brian Braun. You know, Despite the whole PED kerfuffle, he's still the face of the franchise. In Milwaukee, most people love him. And I really can't see the team ever moving him. And again, the... Astro's perspective is that, well, players are assets. You need to trade them if you can. You need to tear down the entire thing so that you lose a lot of games and then get a higher draft pick and all that. But I, I don't really expect Stearns to pew to that approach because of, A, he's brought in players like Carter and Anderson who will help the team now, and B, because he's held on to guys like Braun. Could he have traded Braun by this point? Probably. There are a number of contending teams who could use a above-average corner outfielder, even one who's due a good amount of guaranteed money over the next five years. But I don't think he will because he's a fan favorite. He, to some extent, puts fans in seats to help sell tickets and stuff. And just because he's a good guy to have on the team. He's been there for nine years, and I would expect him to be there for another five. Mm -hmm. Do you have a take on Craig Council? Well, uh, he seems to be getting along really well with Stearns. I went to the uh, the Brewers, the, the meetup thing they did in, the, in back in October, where he spoke with the crowd, and uh, he they, they seem to have a really good rapport. They seem to be um, communicating very well together, and I don't think I don't think Council is like publicly disagreed with him on any major trade he's made. So you you never know with a, a rebuilding club if the manager will stick with the club back when it returns to attention, you know, the Astros fired Bo Porter and, um, especially if the current GM didn't hire him. Yeah. But, uh, I think council seems like the kind of guy whom the players like, and it's always tricky with managers because it's not, it's, it's a lot less, you know, empirical. It's more of the squishy stuff, but I think that he 
probably will stay around for 2016, probably for 2017, especially if the team does as comparatively well as Dakota predicts and stays at about a respectable-ish level of play. And does Arcia have an ETA that you uh, feel confident about? Well, uh, they did bring in Jonathan VR this offseason. I think he'll probably get a fair amount of starts at shortstop this year. And the reason they did that was because they want to probably delay uh, Arcia's service time so that he won't get a full season in 2016 when it won't really count for anything. I think he'll probably get a couple hundred plate appearances this year and then probably become a, something like the full-time shortstop in 2017. If not then, then by 2018, he'll certainly be an established major leaguer. I don't know if he'll he'll be a star by that point, but he should be at least an average regular. All right. So we'll wrap up with a win total projection. How many wins do you think the 2016 Brewers will end up with? Well, uh, according to Dakota, they'll win 76 games. I was looking at this the other day. Uh, Fangraph's projection says them at, uh, I think, 68 or 69 wins, which is obviously a pretty big gap. Yeah. I, I would, I think Dakota is more accurate here, though, because they have, you know, when you throw enough crap at the wall, some of it will stick. I think they've brought in a lot of, well, crap in the off season, and I think <laughs> so, some of these players will probably turn out pretty well. You'll get a fair amount of average guys for every guy that just flames out. So, yeah, I think maybe not 76, but like 73, 74 wins. They'll certainly be a better team than they were last year, I would say. Okay. All right. Well, you can read Ryan Romano all around the internet at BP Milwaukee, at Beyond the Box Score, at Camden Depot, and of course in the BP Annual. You can also find him on Twitter at triple underscore R underscore. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you. All right. So stay tuned after the break and you will hear Jeff Paternostro continue the Brewers preview with Jack Morris. second half of our Brewers chat, we have Jack Moore. You can find Jack's work at the Hardball Times, Vice Sports, and BP Milwaukee, among other places. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. So this is a weird question to start with, but in doing my prep for this segment, I noticed something. The 2016 Brewers are a profoundly uninteresting team. Yeah, they're, they're definitely not going to be interesting for anybody who has uh, an interest in the Brewers on a one-year time scale, right? The 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 thing that will capture anybody who does end up being interested in this team is going to be uh, which which of this hodgepodge is going to prove that they can actually be a part of the next contending Brewers squad because this team has no chance. That it's and they're not really trying. They've been they've been pretty open about uh, a strategy of amassing pieces for the future rather than trying to win in 2016 and. When you look at what they did last year, you have to say that was the right call. As uh, you know, as annoying as I find it, I, I wish it was not the best way to put together a winning team, but they didn't have any other choice this offseason. I think we call that tanking, Jack. Yep. 
So I was trying to avoid the T word, but, but and there that's, it is. That is an interesting point. It's we're at the still at the bottom of the Pakoda projection. A lot of these teams are rebuilding or not actively trying to win or are tanking, if you want to use that word. Is this necessary for the Brewers to do? Yes, yeah, I think it is because you could maybe make an argument that if they had held on to Carlos Gomez last year, you'd try and win with a core that has Carlos Gomez, Jonathan Lucroy, Ryan Braun, but I still don't think there's enough around it to really see that as a contender, especially with how good the, the National League Central has become in recent years. I don't think there's any way you could have looked at that team and uh, around you know the trade deadline last year and said, yeah, this team in 2016 is going to compete with the, the beefed-up Cubs, uh, the Cardinals, and a Pirates team that's still pretty good. So, yeah, I think it made sense. Do you think that they are going to run into issues because there's so many teams, especially in the National League, that are trying to do this at one time? You can talk about success stories. Houston is obviously one. Chicago, to a certain extent. So I guess sort of a two-part question. Is it getting harder to do this with more teams doing it? And when the time comes, will they be able to spend the money to supplement the team in the same way the Cubs have? Yeah, that's a good question. I I do think they are going to be able to spend when they need to. They have pushed the payroll near the $100 million mark. And uh, you would assume with the way that uh, national TV contracts are going, and I believe the Brewers have a renegotiation coming up for the end of the decade with their local deal. So they they should be able to increase the payroll when they get to that point in a few years. But as far as can they compete with other teams doing it, well, I don't think you're going to be able to be terribly sneaky about this kind of thing anymore. Nobody's going to be like, wow, the Rays, what happened there? When when they won in 2008, everybody was everybody was so shocked they went worst first. I, I think people are going to, they're going to have their eyes on this stuff now. But um uh, I, I think it's just going to come down to can can they draft well and can they develop their prospects? And that, that's kind of reductive, I guess. But uh, if you look at uh, a few of the, the top prospects lists, the Brewers are near the top uh, for the first time in a long time. So that that's that's what made them competitive from 2008 and uh, 2011 was graduating a bunch of good prospects and winning with them. And that's how they're going to win again if it, if it does happen. So tank, rebuild, call it what you will. There are still a few holdovers, Ryan Braun and Jonathan Lucroy, most notably. Do you think they try to get out from under those deals? Um, The Braun deal specifically, but with Lucroy indicating he's probably not going to resign and still being on a very cheap extension, do they move either or both before the end of the year? Well, I'm sure they'll be listening on Braun and I... They have been for a while, but he's still a really good player, and the baggage on him is just so huge that it's really hard to imagine anybody giving up fair value for him. So I, I just maybe he's not supplying a whole lot of value, but he is around until twenty twenty one. So as long as he keeps producing, let him you know play well enough to maybe convince somebody to trade for him. But they shouldn't be looking to sell for pennies on the dollar on him. I don't think. I think his value is still uh, lower than it could be in the future. There's no reason to give up on on him as a trade chip yet, I don't think. Uh, as far as Lucroy goes, I do expect them to be shopping him pretty aggressively, and I wouldn't be surprised if he was gone at the deadline. So turning to the actual team that will take the field in 2016, they made a lot of offseason moves, brought in 
some prospects, but also some maybe starters, ex-prospects that haven't quite reached their prospect projections. Who's the most interesting new brewer to you? Uh, that would be Jonathan VR at shortstop for me. Uh, he actually hit really well in his limited time at shortstop in Houston. He was uh, obviously blocked by Carlos Correa there. So they were able to get a shot at a guy who has played well and supposedly had an attitude problem. And, uh, you know, if the Brewers right now, they they got to take bets on guys that other teams for reasons like that or for reasons like uh, unfortunate injury histories or just, you know, s- slow development as a prospect. Those are the guys that they got to be looking at as far as lottery tickets go. And I think VR is a great option. If you, he was an above average hitter last year, he had a 752 OPS. It was only 116 at bats, but if he can run and play shortstop, and he, he can be a lot worse than that and still be pretty valuable. He's an interesting pick considering his position might be under fire before the end of the year, depending on how. Brewers' tra- top prospect Orlando Arcia does. Do you think they'll just slide him over to second then if Arcia forces the issue? Uh, both second and third are an option, I think, because uh, Aaron Hill, who will probably start the season at third base, is pretty clearly a placeholder. But yeah, it's also possible that Scooter Jeanette plays his way out of the starting job at second base by then, too. Um, but VR was acquired actually before the Brewers traded Gene Segura, so the thought. Uh, at that point was that it was possible that the Brewers would keep Segura and VR might just start the season at third base. So yeah, it wouldn't be surprising if he ends up changing positions at some point. The other big move of the offseason is they brought uh, the Brewers brought in a new general manager from Houston, from the, the new Sabre school, the young Ivy League NBA, which seems to be the new trend in general management. Absolutely. Is there anything really new here that he could that Stearns could do to make a difference, or is this just the kind well, of guy that gets GM jobs nowadays? Yeah, I mean, I'm not at all surprised that the Brewers decided to go this way at this point because Mark Adonazio is a, a pretty, uh, you know, he's young and hip and with it as far as these kinds of things go. He's always been uh, uh, kind of on the on the frontiers with this stuff, and Doug Melvin is still around in a in a like a uh, mentorship, you know, uh, some kind of presidential title deal. And uh, I think it's just going to be really hard to see if any of the stuff uh, that Stearns puts in works, because I, I still really think that none of it's going to matter if they can't develop their prospects. And if, if you look at the reason why the Brewers failed in 2014, the reason why they haven't made the playoffs since 2011 is because they got absolutely nothing out of their first round picks from like 2008 to 2012. It was just totally bare. Uh, I think Lou Croy was the only major player to come out of those years. I may be getting the end points wrong on that a little bit, but you know what I'm getting at. So I, I saw that the the Fangraphs Cato system, one of the uh, uh, statistical prospect tools, really loved all of the moves that Stearns made this winter. They had him that they had the Brewers as the number one. Uh, the number one farm system and while i think that's a little over the top uh it'll be really interesting to see if the bets that he made you know actually do pay off so we mentioned arcia already but who's a prospect either someone they've drafted recently or brought in in the past off season or two that piques your interest if someone you're looking forward to seeing how they develop in 2016 
Uh, Josh Hader, who they got from the Astros, so that's uh, Stearns kind of raiding the cupboard there. He's had strikeout rates over his strikeout per inning everywhere he's gone in the last two years. He had uh, he was really, really good in the Arizona Fall League and was drawing some comparisons to Chris Sale, which, you know, uh, a, a Brewers team that hasn't really developed a starting pitcher since Giovanni Gallardo, we're just really, really waiting to hear things like that, so forgive us for getting a little over-attached to that kind of comp. But uh, he's he's one of those guys that was kind of an, under, an underwhelming prospect. He was a 19th-round draft pick, but he's coming out, and he's he's throwing gas, and he's got he's got one of those uh, you know, kind of crazy arm motions that was turning people off like Sale had. But it's it's been great results everywhere he's gone, so it'll be really interesting to see what he does. He'll probably be in AAA to start the year. Speaking of the Brewers pitchers, or a lack thereof. This is the projected rotation from MLB depth charts. Jimmy Nelson, Willie Peralta, Matt Garza, Taylor Youngman, and Chase Anderson. Is yep. this the worst starting rotation in baseball? It, it definitely could be. I, I do actually think that Nelson and Youngman are both worth watching this year. I think uh, Youngman's numbers last year were kind of skewed because he totally ran out of gas at the end of what was his longest uh season of his career he was excellent for his first uh 20 starts or so so that it'll be interesting to see if that was a case of an adjustment or just a case of uh him you know losing it physically a bit uh and nelson has big stuff and he he just feels like he's one notch better on the command scale to becoming you know a solid mid mid rotation pitcher so i am i'm excited to see what those two can do but there's no front line there's nobody who can even pretend to be a frontline starter on this team. So yeah, in that sense, I have to agree. They are probably the worst starting rotation in baseball. One thing that piqued my interest as someone that's covered the New York Mets, specifically the New York Mets farm system in detail for the last few years, Kirk Newenheis listed as the Brewers starting center fielder. Yeah. And if Did you know that he played football in high school? <laughs> You'll learn that probably. I did not. I did not uh... Wow, he's a regular Darren Erstad out there. Yeah, if Neuenheis is still the center fielder in, I would I would go as far to say as by the third week of April, uh, it means that their bat on Reimer Liriano didn't pay off because I think that's the guy that they really see as having any sort of future in center field on on this roster. Uh, I, which I think that was a a great pickup. Uh, he was a guy whose whose skill set you know huge raw power was matched up with the worst possible park for it. And Miller Park is, it's really tiny and it should play well to his skill set. So we'll see if he can actually harness it. So zooming out a bit from 2016, we've talked about how tough the NL Central is. And you have to imagine the Cubs are fairly well positioned to win for a long time and have the financial backing to fill in holes. The Cardinals have the Cardinals devil magic, so you can never count them out. And the Pirates seem to be in a good place, have a solid major league team, and still a very good farm system to fill in their gaps. How long will it take for the Brewers to be competitive again in this division? Honestly, looking at the history of the Brewers, once they get bad, I'm not sure I see a real definite path back to contention until they get like five or six draft picks that all hit right at the same time because that that's that's been their history that's a big ask yep (laughs) and 
I mean, that's that's what it took when you look at uh, look at how the Royals got good. They lost for 12 years and finally got one prospect wave to hit at the right time. And, and I mean, that's how the Brewers got good in 2008. They got Ricky Weeks, Ryan Braun, Prince Fielder, J.J. Hardy, Corey Hart, all in the course of like four drafts. And, you know, if, if that happens, then especially with the backing of Mark Adonazio, they he, he will he will uh he's fine breaking even or losing a little bit of money if the team's gonna win and uh you know now that I live in minnesota i I can really appreciate uh that kind of ownership and so they'll have a chance but uh, you can't, you can't can't see it until there's a real legitimate prospect wave coming in if you want me to put a number on it i guess three years at least I right, jack will let you go with this are you as excited as I am about the new Milwaukee Brewers hats? Oh yeah, that's brilliant, and th- this has been so long coming. I, I think it's uh, a smart move that they, you know, uh, mixed in the the new ish color scheme, except that they brought in the yellow instead of that uh, weak gold color. So I think it was a great move. I love that old logo. It's brilliant. Uh, there's still people finding out every day that it's uh, not just a baseball glove, but an M and a B. So. Uh, yeah, hopefully. We'll I mean, you're talking to the person here. that only recently learned that the old Montreal logo was supposed to be an M. Yeah, right. There's a lot going on in that one too. I just thought it was Elbe. <laughs> I didn't know what the French translation of Expos was when I was a yeah, kid. So Hill, I Elbe. Was like, Hill Elbe. <laughs> it's a good year. I feel like it's a good year sartorially. Between that, you have the White Sox wearing the the black throwbacks. Oh yeah, the little white guy on it, and mm-hmm. the Pirates bringing back the We Are Family uniforms yeah, and mean, the pillbox hats look nice and even the mets are wearing the 86 with the racing stripes which i love for sunday afternoon or sunday day games yeah this has been a solid i would say about five years stretch for bringing back uh you know some nice like refined uh modernized touches to the uh to old logos like the blue jays redesign always sticks out for me but like uh the a's bringing back their gold uniforms uh, a, a lot of things like that it's uh I think they're doing a good job with it across the league. Everyone except the Diamondbacks. <laughs> right. Uh, the, yeah, they took the bloody sock thing a little too far, I think. Yeah, we're doing the Diamondbacks next week, and that will definitely be on the agenda. Very nice. Very I think, nice. Fr- I think front and center, maybe. Jack Moore, you can read his stuff at Vice Sports, The Hardball Times, BP Milwaukee, and elsewhere. You can find him on Twitter at JH underscore Moore. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on. Okay, that's it for us. Thank you to Ryan and Jack for coming on. You can email us at podcast at baseballperspectus.com and you can join our Facebook group, which is about to hit 3,500 members at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. You can buy our book. Sam and I wrote a book. It's called The Only Rule Is It Has to Work. Officially comes out May 3rd, but you may get it a little in advance of that if you pre-order. It's a book that came about because of the podcast. We had the idea for the book in the middle of a podcast episode. We ran a professional team last summer, an independent league team that we found also through the podcast. So if you like the podcast, you'll you'll want to read the book. I think you've heard us discuss our crazy ideas about baseball on the show. We actually tried to put some of them into practice. You can also follow along with this preview series at Banish to the Pen, the sister site of this podcast, banishtothepen.com, and the writers over there are putting up written previews to coincide with our audio previews day by day. And finally, you can rate and review and subscribe to our show on iTunes, and you can support our sponsor, The Play Index, by going to baseballreference.com 
using the coupon code BP and getting the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. Have a nice weekend. We'll be back on Monday with the preview for the San Diego Padres. Got the whole world in our hands. Come on, take a chance and start a new. Me and you. Got the whole world in our hands. Come on, take a chance and start a new.